Good morning. My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we have been in a, uh, a series on our core values. We are looking at our core values and our priorities as a church. And one of those is worship. Joshua started that last week. I'm, I'm told there's no record of it anywhere. Um, that's a joke for those of you who tried to listen to it on the internet somehow. It, it's gone into the nether sphere, but... But it happened, and so this week we are going to continue in looking at um, worship because it's really important. So let me let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we need to hear you speaking, which you promised to do and the message of the good news. And so I ask that you would pull back the veil, that people would hear your sweet words, that we would be changed. It's in your name that I do pray. Amen. Well, I missed you last week. I was gone at my high school reunion. And... Um, and I really did miss you. And I'm really grateful that you let me stand up here and preach every week. Uh, it's kind of a, it's an amazing thing, the more I think about it. But one of the things that happened when I was gone, I had a delightful time. I was talking to people. I caught up on, uh, on life and where people at. And one of the things, being a pastor, that people wanted to catch up on is where they are at in their relationship to God. So I was talking to one friend. She was very close to me growing up, all through elementary school um, and high school. And we've kind of lost touch since, but we were catching up. And, and she said, um, Kyle, I, I, uh, I still believe in God, and I love Jesus, but, but I'm not sure I can ever go to church again. And, and she actually works with an organization called Grace, which is investigates abuse situations in the church. And she's like, I've just seen so much abuse in the church. I'm not sure if I could ever walk into a church again. Maybe some of you can, can resonate or have at some point in time resonated with that, that sentiment. But you know, it's, it's not just disappointment and, and disillusionment. I mean, these things happen. Um, but we we feel that that uh, well we feel that the church it lets us down in so many ways. I I have two um, we're mentors now friends and colleagues and they wrote a book on the church and the first chapter of the book is entitled the disappointment of the church. I couldn't think of a more refreshingly honest and appropriate chapter title for the first chapter in a book on a church, The Disappointment on the Church. And people are disappointed with the church. That's why over the last century, almost you know, 7,500 people a week are leaving the church in Europe and America. And, uh, and it's not just that we're disappointed and disillusioned. It's also that like, there are so many other options out there, right? I mean, good options, beautiful options, beautiful things. I mean, saying, uh, saying yes to church means saying no to lots of other good things, right? I was uh, in the middle of the last century, a Welsh preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about um, 
It's the experience of being at a train station on a Sunday and seeing people flood off the train. And he writes, Why is it that while the places of worship in Cardiff were only sparsely attended, the trains that come from the seaside uh, places were packed out? Why did these people spend their day at the seaside and other places rather than in the house of God worshiping? And then he answers his own question. Well, the answer is perfectly plain. They obviously prefer to be at the seaside and feel that they get more benefit there than they did in their chapels and their churches. And a lot of us can relate. I mean, saying, saying yes to church often means saying no to, to a glorious hike. Saying yes to church often means saying no to that, that great surf session. Saying, saying yes to, to church means often saying no to club soccer for your kids. Saying yes to church can, can often mean saying no to that amazing brunch, right? So with all these other options, why go to church? And then, and then there's also just the, the reality that with the internet and all that, we can find like really good preaching on the internet, better preaching than you're getting here. And you can listen to better preaching than you're getting here, and you can, you're like, well, why don't I just do that at the beach? And then I can also listen to my, my favorite band that's like recorded. And I, that's how I do worship. You know, this, this, this mentality has, has been there for a long time. I mean, why can't I just worship on my own? Emily Dickinson said, some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying at home with a bobo link for a cloister and an orchard for a dome. So why do I go to church on Sunday? Why come to a worship service? Well, one answer that I could give you, an appropriate answer, I think, would be simply this. Because you're supposed to. Uh, because it's commanded. I mean, earlier in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, the author says to it, see to it that you do not forsake the assembly of believers. And we know that this is one of the ways in which we keep the Sabbath, which we are called to keep the Sabbath. I mean, Jesus, Luke 4 tells us, was his custom to, on the Sabbath day, attend the synagogue. So I could say, you know, you should do it because it's commanded. And that would be true. But here's what I know, and here's what you know. For me to tell you, take your medicine, eat your vegetables, do it because it's good for you, well, that's only going to last so long. Because here's the reality. When given the choice between duty and delight, delight wins nine times out of ten. And when given the choice between loyalty and love, love wins nine times out of ten. The reality is that our affections will always trump our convictions in the long run. And so, I don't think that answer is adequate for you and for me. So why go to church? Well, I think to answer that question adequately, we have to reimagine what's happening here in the worship service. And I mean, uh, I use that word very deliberately, imagine, because it requires imagination. 
Now, when I speak of an imagination, we usually think of something that is uh, unreal, not true, right? Oh, it's just in your imagination. But no, no, no. Imagination is required for most of life. If you think about your future, make a plan. Use your imagination. If you, if you want to, um, if when when you want to think of someone in love, you use your imagination, right? If you want to get back to your car right now, you have to use your imagination. Where did I park? Right? Uh, imagination is not just to think of the unreal, but it's to to bring those things which are distant and make them present. To make those things that are unseen present to the eye of our imagination. And what I think we need to do, if we are going to ever have our affections changed and see how, how eternally valuable the worship service is and how beautiful it is, then we have to have, reimagine it. And so maybe we can start this way. Maybe I can start by asking this question. Where have you come when you come to a worship service? If the author of Hebrews was to ask the people to who this letter was writing, where have you come? Where if we were to ask them, where have you come when you come to a worship service? What do you think they would say? Well, I think they would probably say, I've come to a Jewish ghetto in Rome somewhere around the mid-60s. Um, because that's the people to whom this book was written. You see, Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers who underwent a severe um, period of persecution as Jews under Claudius about 15 years before. Because when Claudius, uh, he, he sent out an edict, and that edict cast out all the Jews from the city of Rome. They lost their property, they lost their homes, they were thrown in jail. That's why people like Priscilla and Aquila end up leaving Rome and going to Corinth, right? But when Claudius' edict is removed, the Jews return. That's around 56 AD. When they return, by the way, this, you know, you're not going to get this in your notes. You just, this, this is why you come. Um, so around 56 AD, they come back, and, uh, but they're Christians. And then later on, this guy named Nero comes around. And he's not persecuting Jews. He's persecuting Christians. So the Jewish Christians, they get a double whammy. First, they're persecuted for being Jews. And now they're persecuted for being Christians. And so they have a temptation. And the temptation is this, to go back to the synagogue, to abandon Christianity and go back to Judaism because Jews weren't persecuted at that time by Nero. They were exempt, but the Christians were. And that's why they are tempted to forsake the gathering together, the assembly of believers, all right? So if we were to ask them, where are you? They would say, I'm in Rome, in a Jewish ghetto in the middle of the 60s. And yet, and yet that makes... Verse 22, really, really surprising. Because where does the author of Hebrews think that they have gone? But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Zion was the mountain on which Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was built. And Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. It was the place where the temple was, and the temple was not just a place of worship, but that was the place where God was said to dwell. God's manifest presence was in the temple. 
The temple and the Holy of Holies above the altar, that was the place where heaven and earth touched. See, because while Jews believed that God was everywhere, they did, they believed that his manifest presence was in a very particular place. God was actively and powerfully and savingly present in Jerusalem. That is why throughout the Psalms they turn and they pray toward Zion, toward Jerusalem, toward the Temple Mount, because that's the place from which God saves. So here's the question. Why does the author of Hebrews tell this group of people living in Rome that they have come to Jerusalem? He doesn't. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. I was in Dallas uh, working there on a work trip, and I was downtown, I was going to a concert, and um, I decided, as one does when they're in Dallas, to check out their best barbecue restaurants, of course. And I'm down at this barbecue place downtown, and I'm eating by myself, because that's what you do on work trips, and I'm kind of looking out the window and just seeing what's around. And there's this cool barbershop called High and Tight, right? And I'm just staring at High and Tight, and I'm thinking, that looks cool. Maybe I can be cool if I get my hair cut there. So I'm watching these people go in, and I'm deciding, do I want to get my high and tight haircut there? And as I do, I see these people keep walking into the barbershop. And then they keep walking through, and like girls are walking into the barbershop. I'm like, why are they going to the barbershop? And then they walk back to this like closet door, and then they just walk through. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I finish my barbecue. And I go into high and tight, and I decided to muster up the confidence and the boldness to walk right past the barbers and open up the closet door and walk through. And when I walked through, I entered this hallway. And then at the end of this hallway, I entered this space that was massive. And it was a 1920s club, right, that had this, like, this cool bar and all these cool lounge chairs and tables. And, stuff. and then it had this band. And this band was playing, like it was the best cover band that I've ever heard in my whole life. They were playing everything from Nirvana to the Beatles, but when they played the songs, they were all in either like a Latin flavor or reggae. Yes, you wanted to be there. The, like, the band had probably 20 members in it. They had a whole horn section. I mean, it was crazy. It was like through this barber shop, you walk back, and it was like Narnia back there. And, uh, and, and I don't know when I left. It was amazing. It, you know, sometimes things are more than meet the eye, you know? Where have you come this morning? Well, I'm at 36 East Victoria in Santa Barbara, California, 93101, you know, in the United States of America, Western Hemisphere, planet Earth. Maybe, yeah. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And you need to reimagine where you have come. You need to see through the eyes of faith that, that we are not where we think we are. You see, 
the only way that we are going to be able to understand what is going on here is if we, we realize that there is more to this world than what our Western tradition has taught us. That we are just mere molecules and matter and time plus chance. Listen, there are molecules and there are neurons, but there's also faith, hope, and love, and truth, and beauty, and goodness, which molecules and neurons can't fully explain. And right now, yes, you have come into a room, 36 Vs, Victoria, and Santa Barbara, and you have also entered into the throne room of God. That's where you are right now. That's why, by the way, when we come to this table, a minister says, the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord our God. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise because we are reminding ourselves where our true location is. And that's why we sing the great song that's been going on through all eternity in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Because we are joining that song, which has been going on from eternity past and will go on to eternity future because that is our true location. That is where we are. Do you have any idea? So you have to reimagine where you are, and you have to reimagine who is there. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And verses 22 and 23 goes on to say, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly and to the church of the firstborn. You have come to a community that transcends nation and space and time and place and people and language. This is a pan-national, multi-ethnic community. I was talking to somebody recently about um, the Conference of Urbana. Some of you have heard of Urbana. Urbana is kind of a college conference that promotes the lordship of Christ over over every dimension of life and all of the world. And so it talks about Jesus' global reign. And college students have been going to this thing since like 1946. It's moved around some, but, but, uh, but there's like hundreds of thousands of college students who have made this trek to Urbana. And one of the reasons they say um, that people go to Urbana or what they talk about is they talk about how amazing it is, actually one of the things that they love most is to actually worship with so many different people and to have just thousands of people singing together and worshiping together. I've heard the same thing when people used to talk about the promise keepers, where you know these men would fill, fill stadiums and sing. People talked about that experience. It's an amazing thing to be part of something so big. I don't care if you're worshiping with 10 people in an underground church in China or here right now. That's the experience that you are having. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels. Do you see them? They are all around us right now. And all the saints from all the past and from across the world, we have been gathered up by the Spirit right now into the throne room of heaven. That's where we are. And that's who we are with. (laughs) And it is a party. Do you notice that it says that 
that these angels are gathered in festal or joyful assembly. This word festal or joyful assembly, was, it was used of civic festivals, of, of parties and, and the festivals associated with the Olympics. It's an occasion of joy and delight that is often associated with a feast. And this is an occasion of joy and delight that is associated with a feast. But you have to reimagine what's served. Because the meal here, well, it's something that nothing on our periodic table can explain. See, earlier in the book of Hebrews, the author says that Christians have tasted, quote, this is Hebrews 6, 4, and 5, the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Do you have any idea what you're ingesting when you come here? When you come to this table? I was, um, I was, I was taught, it's funny, like I went back to the South and, and in the South, they call what I do, I'm a preacher. Uh, and, and they're like, and they're asked, you still preaching? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess I am. And that was one of the things I do. But people were like, well, what do you do? And so I started like, well, maybe I'll mix it up a bit because I don't think of myself as just a pe- preacher, right? I'm a shepherd, but I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I give people the body and blood of Jesus every week. And this one girl looks at me, and she, like, kind of smiled wryly, and she's like, so you're able to transform the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Jesus? And I just looked at her, and I was like, no, but the Holy Spirit is. Is the bread which we partake not a participation in the body of Christ? Is the cup in which we partake not a participation in the blood of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10? You say, wait, Kyle, that sounds kind of like Roman Catholic or something, right? No, 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 no. Listen, the, the problem, I think my problem, one of my problems with Roman Catholicism is they actually want to try to explain this through, like, matter, And I think that what we're doing is we're entering into mystery where we really commune with the body and blood of our Lord, where the things that we are taking are not able to be explained through a periodic table. Do you have any idea what meal you're being served? You cannot get it at Scarlet Begonia or any other brunch. You have to reimagine that we are at this party that has been going on and will go on forever and ever and ever, and there is more. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And you have come to God. Some people tell me, Kyle, I I experienced God in nature I experience God most at inspiration point. I experience God when I'm, I'm out on the water. And, and listen, Scripture speaks of creation's incredible ability, incredible ability to draw us and our thoughts to God. And I think it's because of that that some of us say, you know, I, I experience God more than hikes than in hymns. I experience 
God more on the water than in worship. I experience God more in the arts than at the altar. But God's manifest presence, the place where heaven touches earth, that's at Mount Zion. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which you enter right here. So you know why she come to church on, on Sunday morning and enter a worship service? Because this is where we meet God. That's why. Don't you want to meet with God? Where do you want to meet with God? You know, this text talks about a place where people met with God. It's actually the, the most kind of emblematic place where God meets with his people. It was read for us earlier. It's at Mount Sinai after God rescues his people out of Egypt. And what happened there when the people met with God? There was a barrier that was put around the mountain, verse 18. And they were given these instructions that even if a beast or someone touched it, verse 20, that they would die. And when they went to this, this mountain, they saw lots of things. They saw burning fire and darkness and gloom and a storm. Verse 18, there was a trumpet blast. And they heard this voice that was speaking with such power that they said, stop speaking to us directly. It's too much. It's too much. And the mediator of that covenant, Moses, he actually, the text says, was trembling with fear. Why? The illusion goes back to the fact that when Moses gave the words of that covenant, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. Immediately the people made a graven image and they worshipped it. And so Moses, trembling with fear, stood before God because he realized that these people had come before the judge of all the earth whose white-hot wrath cannot but burn against sin. You know the greatest reason to come to church on Sunday morning? Because it's here that we meet with God. You know the greatest reason not to come to church on Sunday morning? Because it's here that we meet with God. The judge of all the earth. Mount Zion was the place of God's full and final judgment. The Old Testament scriptures say that from Zion, God will finally reveal every deed and misdeed and bring every deed and misdeed to account. Every thought, word, and deed would be laid bare and that he would right all wrongs and that justice would come. So why would we want to come before the judge of all the earth? at Mount Zion, because you belong here. Verse 23 speaks of the church as the firstborn, as those whose names are written in heaven. Uh, 
when it talks about those whose names are written in heaven, it's using the language of your name being on a registry. In other words, you are a citizen of this place and you belong here. That's the church. Um, when I was, uh, Pam and I, I studied in England before I came here. Most of you know that. One of the things about uh, traveling internationally, though, that's really interesting is that, you know, especially if you're in a place for a long time, you have to have a visa. And you go through customs. And, you know, when you sit in the custom line, you always wonder, like, what are they going to ask me? What's going to happen? And, it's, it's, you know, it's a little anxiety-producing, right? You know what's really anxiety-producing? When your passport expires that has your visa in it, and then you have to carry around another passport that's valid. So that, valid, that passport doesn't have your visa. This passport has your visa. Right? That was me the last year of my like, studies in England. Do you know what's even more anxiety producing? When you lose the passport that has the visa in Italy. And you're like two months from finishing. And you're trying to enter the country. And you're sitting there in line. And I'm just kind of like sweating anxious and you know you're checking out the customs agents who's smiling who looks nice you know who looks friendly you know um who looks like they're kind of just wanting to get people through i think i'll go to that person uh and then meanwhile you look over and there's like the the eu or the uk passports and those people just breeze on by they're not worried at all and I was sitting there thinking, I was coming back from Italy, I lost one passport with my visa in it. How am I going to do this? Are they going to let me in? Am I going to get held up? Am I going to get like under the, like the, the uh, Inquisition, you know, taken into a dark room somewhere, um, uh, you know, and, and made to eat all kinds of British things? So, I was sitting there, I was like worried, what is going to happen? And then uh, I thought, man, I really wish I were like my friend Simeon right now. I mean, not in this aspect. This is going to come out wrong. So Simeon married. I'm really glad about who I married. Simeon married uh, a gal who had British, British citizenship, and he was able to get British citizenship. So he is a dual citizen and has two passports. So whenever he enters a country, um, whether it's the UK or the US, he just pulls out the passport that's most fitting, and he goes right through the line. Like, no questions asked. Yep, absolutely, go on through. You belong here. And I was like, man, I wish I had that passport. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that you, church of the firstborn, you belong here. You have that passport. Your name is on the registry. Come on in. And the reason that your name is on the registry, the reason that you belong here, is because the judge of all the earth is also the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is a mediator of a new covenant. Jeremiah 31 speaks of this covenant. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I brought them out of Egypt, the covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. It will not be a broken covenant. It will not be a breakable covenant. Why? For behold, declares the Lord, I will make a new covenant with them, and I will write my law on their hearts and put my law within them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, declares the Lord. Why? 
4. I will forgive all their iniquities and remember their sins no more. This covenant would be an enduring covenant, an unbreakable covenant that was based upon a definitive and final sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, whose blood, whose sprinkled blood, speaks better and louder than the blood of Abel. It's a reference to the first brothers. One kills the other, he murders him in cold blood. And the Bible says that the blood of Abel cried out. And what did it cry out for? Justice and judgment. But Jesus' blood it cries out and it says something very different. It says forgiveness. Five bleeding wounds he bared, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. Why do you come here? Because listen, you are going to one of two mountains. And the word of all the other mountains are do this and live. The word of every other mountain that you go to is a mountain that calls out for judgment. And listen, we deserve judgment. But you come here because there's a louder word. And that word is forgiveness. And that word is grace. Not cheap forgiveness, not your sins don't matter, because that will never work. But a word that says, there is a sacrifice that is enough. And the covenant at Sinai could never, ever deal with the deep need and sin of humanity. But on Mount Zion, Jerusalem, a hill, outside that city that the Roman that the Jews called Golgotha and the Romans called Calvary on that hill on that mountain sin was dealt with fully and finally so that it will not be like that covenant that they broke so that I will be their god and they will be my people forever and ever and ever and ever so why do we come why do we come here? We come here to meet with the judge of all the earth because the verdict has already been rendered. You know, I was traveling recently, and you ever jealous of those people? Maybe you are one of those people who like go through the pre-check. Pre-check is amazing. They're like, you have already like gone through all the stuff. You send it. I'm thinking about doing this, right? I mean, it's worth it. Like you send, you don't have to take off your shoes anymore. And that's, that's awesome. Uh, you don't have to take out your liquids anymore. You don't have to remove your computer anymore. And if you're flying internationally, you don't have to wait in that huge customs line at LA. 
It's like crazy. You just get walked through. Why? Because you've sent in all the information and you've already been judged. And so you get off the plane and it's like, hey, yay, I'm home. And not what's going to happen. You, do you know why there's a festal gathering? Do you know why there's a party before the judge of all the earth? Because the verdict has already been rendered. You are righteous. Because of what Jesus has done. And he will perfect you. The spirits of the righteous being made perfect. See, Sinai will tell you what to do. But Zion, it speaks of what's already been done. And so this is the reason why you should come to worship. Because Jesus is here. Who sings praises in the midst of this gathering. Hebrews 2. Who leads his people in joyful procession. 2 Corinthians 2. Jesus who speaks words of pardon and life and peace. And Jesus who offers us this meal and feeds us with his very own body and blood. That's why we come here. To be with Jesus. Do not refuse this word of grace. Do not refuse it. Join the party. Amen.